With me is uh, Nico Muli and Craig Lucas, hot foot from West Hampstead. And, uh, <laughs> no, we've been in Bromley by Borough. Oh, three bells. Three bells, which I think is much higher. I always call th- three bells or five bells. People keep correcting me. <laughs> Listen, Craig, I mean, I have to say, first of all, that I've longed all my life to meet someone, and finally I have, who was in Rex. Oh, my the God. The Richard Rogers Sheldon Harnick <laughs> musical, which... I was Now, there's a collector's item. When we're finished with this, I will regale you with Nicole Williamson's stories. <laughs> it, I've dined out on it my whole life, thank God. But I'm a Rogers freak. I always have been. And for you, of course, a wonderful kind of symmetry, ending up crazy. writing a wonderful libretto for his grandson. Crazy. He'd already lost his larynx when I worked with him, so he used to just skulk around backstage and poke you like a Dickensian character with his cane and go, Who told you to say that? No. <laughs> Oh, really? So great. Really. I think there are some lovely things in that score. There are, And you were in, in one of my other favourite musicals, too. We'll get this out of the way now, <laughs> on the 20th century. That was really fun to be I in. I love that show. I always forget your past as a chorus boy. Oh, so, well, I'm still in my mind. <laughs> I, think uh, I just walked through the West End going, look, love never dies. I wonder if I could be in that. There are plenty of parts for you in that. Totally well, there's a point to this preamble because I, I just wanted to start by chewing over the whole idea of tagging different kinds of musical theatre because I find it so perplexing this whole idea of these arguments of when is an opera an opera where do the divisions lie it's the dumbest conversation it's an opera if it's at the opera house and it's, it's a musical if it's on Broadway that's all there is to it but I think the rot set in much earlier when things started to be through sung and you know why a musical was through sung why were things called rock operas was it in some way an attempt to elevate them because there was that kind of misguided thinking back then that... I mean, look, Leonard Bernstein was persuaded to record West Side Story with the wrong and voices. Can, has anyone ever been able to listen to that ever? No. Tonight! It's like the most... Maybe that Carrie Takano would think it's the worst thing. Why does that happen? It happens because someone persuaded... Do you know him. what? I think a lot of it has to do with an old method of thinking about making a taxonomy of music. But I was old enough to buy music with my own money. The record stores were already dying. And if I wanted to buy West Side Story now, I wouldn't know where to look. And I, I think that's fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I would just type in West Side Story. Yeah. And I wouldn't have to go to the weird classical porn room or, God forbid, the musical theater like, room. Soundtrack. Soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Soundtrack. Which, like, which really sounds like it's been translated from the Russian. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so I think at this point, it's just a really, it's a boring conversation that reinforces some old ideas about how things work. Where, yeah. Whereas reality is, you go to the opera house, you're seeing an opera. You can get crazy and say, well, you know, something like Dan- Danation of Faust, that's actually not an opera, technically. It's an oratorio. Or the Mozart thing with the, the magic flute. <laughs> Birds, yeah. I mean, that's a musical, right? I mean, yeah. talking, talking, but you see, this is, yeah. this is, I mean, it's a serious point. This is what I'm talking about. Right. And I mean, there have been, in the 40s and 50s thing, in America, there were c- compositions by people like Minotti and, right. and, and Barbara that were performed in Broadway theatres. But, but surely... surely that's an argument that's just about the taxonomy, and that's like what that, to call it. That's what to call it. That's as yeah. interesting as people saying like, "What do you call this pasta shape?" And what do you call this pasta? It's like. This but then no one, ever, no one ever talks about do, do, were the notes right, were the rhythms right, was the story yeah. told well. Yes. Do you know what I mean? That's and that's, that's the key. Those are the yeah. more interesting things. Yeah. Was did it have a good beat? And was it easy to dance to? You know, the, the ultimately the questions about content and form are the ones that sort of catch fire if you dig in. Why do you want it all sung? Yes. Right. As opposed to, you know, and there's a long lineage of deeper questions in opera, 
certainly of monthly verity. And the Greek tragedies were, in a sense, you know, a lot of sung mm. text. Did you know that the choruses in the Greek plays were, were done in a different dialect, a country dialect? Yes. They play, so they were like country and western songs? No, totally. <clears throat> Come on, how great is that? Can you just imagine them coming out and going, and then... <laughs> I think I think Joanne Acolytus just did that in the park. Actually, oh, <laughs> I thought. I take my own life. But you see, Andrew Lloyd Webber's quite straightforward about it. He says, "I want my pieces through sung because I want them to be music led. I want that control over them." I mean, I always the thing that people always freak out about in the genre department is like Sweeney Todd. It's a number music. Yeah. Like, you know what? It's actually just awesome. it's just really. It's good. an awesome musical. It's an awesome thing. No, not even an awesome. I mean, and, but then, like, I mean, similarly, like Jesus Christ Superstar is just good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, sure. You can call you can call a lot of things, but at the end of the day, it's good. So, how did you two come together on this project? We were put together by uh, oh, the by Andre Bishop and the Met. Uh, they had this commissioning program, and uh, he thought we would be a good team. Yeah. And then the idea, I, I know we're not supposed to talk about the civics of the inspiration, but you can give us a clue as to where the idea for this piece came from. I, I became an adult at, at the same time that the internet was sort of happening in my house, so it, it tracks very easily with my musical development and personal development. And, and so for me, stories that take place in a combination space of online and offline have always been really appealing. And the late 90s and early noughts were kind of rife with, you know, every, every third day in the paper you pick it up and there'd be another thing that's, that felt safe online became, in fact, very dangerous in, in flush space. Yeah. Or something that felt safe in flush space became, became very dangerous online and retransmitted. And so Craig and I sort of started bouncing these things off of each other and, and, and very quickly realized that there was a, a series of interesting stories that could be told. Yeah, it was, it's Nico's idea, you know, and there is a real case. And uh, we know probably as little about it as you do. Because <laughs> uh, very, we very quickly realized that we had to abstract everything. To you know, yeah. We were just warned by everybody, the, the, law, the laws here. So, But Nico had a whole file, basically, in here of these instances using the net where people had either masqueraded as what they were not or used the distance provided by the fact that you're not in the same room mm. as a foil for psychological or physical violence. Mm. Mm-hmm. And just it's no different than Rigoletto or yeah. you know the masked ball or cozy. It's the question exactly of identity. Right. Yes, I was going to say and it's actually it's, more it's, believable than those girls dressing up and coming back in the room. I love Supposedly that. they're yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> or like or my favorite is pretendedly where it's like oh I'm actually like the Viscount of Naples and you're like which no you are not. But I'm it's like, also I'm watching, watching Merchant of Venice now and you think now you married her <laughs> but you don't know that's her just because she yes, what exactly. So it's a leap that we're willing to make yeah. uh, because the storytelling is so fun, but you kind of don't even have to make the leap when it comes to the net. And I had written another story about uh, masquerading on the, on the internet earlier, which I maybe partly why Andre thought of me, but also mm-hmm. Andre knew that I am a devotee of the Britain operas and, and love well, and, and also new music. You've written not just, not just a play, but also a movie. Yeah, I made a movie called The Dying Gaul, which is very much about someone pretending on the internet. But one of the things I like so much about the Dying Gaul, in addition to this, is that, is that the internet, yes, it's there, and yes, it's, it's one of the various media in which people lie, but people also lie to each other's faces. Totally. You know? And that, and that to me, is great, is that it's not, we're just making an internet opera. Like it, 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 for me, the piece has become, over the, over the what, five years, four years that we've been putting it together, it's become about a, a woman who is born into an analog world, 
being forced to navigate a new way in which people can lie to each other, be awful to each other. Which character is this? In the this movie? is Subicli's character. This is the, the this is this police, uh, what, she's superintendent of... She's a, uh, she's a detective <laughs> supervising detective. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I was rather shocked to learn Scotland Yard wasn't computerized at, at you know rather recent times. Yes. And do you know that just today they announced that you guys are going to need a national police force? An American-style national police force? Oh, right? God help you. Um, <laughs> you're better informed than I am. I hadn't even seen that. I saw the TV in three mills. But things have changed so f- quickly, and Nico and I often have this dis- I mean, I'm exactly twice Nico's age. You know, Grandpa is often saying, if I wanted to compress this file, I would do what? <laughs> and Nico's like, yeah, just uh, give it to me. I'll do it. So that <laughs> distance makes her feel, in a sense, that she... Is it right to talk about character? In, in sure, yeah, yes. That, that she can't somehow find her... She can't find her way through this case, and it's, it's, it's one of the first. She's obviously top-notch mm-hmm. and, uh, and has you know brilliant acumen. And she starts to question herself, and that throws her into an emotional place which ultimately allows her to unlock who these kids are, a kind of insecurity and frailty that they don't evince necessarily online, but that is really always there. That's a great possibility, though, having someone from the old world, right. so to speak, and looking, trying to find their way through. It's a great idea. But that's one of the, that's one of the challenges also of, of just the, the kind of, not the opera itself, but, but the kind of the meta stories that are being told about the piece is that really it's, it's an opera traces of, of uh, an analog journey. What starts out being sort of background becomes foreground, but, but indeed there's, there are two sensibilities at work. And that's, I think, one of the things that, that the libretto is so great at is that it's, you're a good net citizen, but you're also, you also understand the old ways. <laughs> I, was, I was going to ask, do you think the net in general has improved our mode of communication, or do you think it's just given us better ways to hide from ourselves. I mean, it's unquestionably a tool. Yeah. And tools can be picked up and used to bash people on the heads, and they can be used... I mean, I can now accomplish in five minutes what it used to take me weeks yeah. in the New York Public Library. Yeah. Yeah. And that is brilliantly helpful. You know, there's at least 200,000 emails between <laughs> the two of us, which would never have happened. Even Virginia Woolf could only write five so letters a day. Yeah. The Nessa. The Nessa. <laughs> 200 emails from Nico yesterday, and so the ability to actually make decisions... And we're in the same place, and when we we weren't, he was upstate, I was in the city, we could be in touch. It's it's a dazzling tool, and I think it's just as silly and reactionary to look at it as some kind of innately nefarious Mm. force as it was the wristwatch, Mm. which Mm. completely changed the world. Certainly, the printing press did much more radical things to the world than the internet will ever be able to do. There, there are weird things that happen. I mean, I was sent a package of CDs by someone and two were missing. And I simply picked up the phone and said, two are missing. And they said, that's very strange. I could have sworn I put them in the package. About an hour later, I put Facebook up and <laughs> this person had posted a comment saying, how mysterious that CDs haven't reached Edward Segerson. And I thought, why did you put that there? And why is it of interest to anybody? Right. It's the minutiae of people's lives, I suppose, that are being bandied around on. on yes, the, yes, and no, the though. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a dangerous idea because it, yeah, some people like to like to sort of speak disparagingly of Facebook and say, oh, it's just people posting pictures of their puppies. Yeah. But through 
but through those media, sometimes you can achieve an intimacy that you would not be able to achieve in any other way. And in a lot of cases, that that intergenerational communication is made possible in a way that it wasn't before. For instance, I'm able to be in touch with my sort of kind of conservative religious family in a way that I would I would otherwise literally not be just by normalizing for them in the in the minutia of my life as a like urban homosexual. Mm. They can see out of the corner of their eye how happy I am and how well I'm doing that I have a boyfriend, I have a dog, and I have a this and I have that. That's and I think that's that's so important because otherwise, it, 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 you know, twenty years ago, if I were making some sort of demo, I live alone, fifty miles away from Manhattan on four acres with two dogs. My neighbors are people who maintain golf courses and live off the grid. Without things like Facebook and the internet. I would not have be I would not be able to maintain the intimacy that I have with a handful of people who are very important to me. Uh, Nico being one of them now. Uh, I don't even know that there would have been a context for someone my age to be able to follow what Nico is doing musically and what he's thinking politically. I'm gaining an access to a world that. I may very well have been completely locked out of. Uh, you know, blogs are very, very interesting. People may be expressing picayune points or what seem like quotidian. Or just pictures of other dogs. But like. I'm also actually coming into contact with. I, I think people reveal themselves in the, in their diction, where they stumble, where they put the verb. I'm, I'm very interested in how people hide and reveal themselves with language. And suddenly, again, language, albeit bespelled and solecism, you know, festooned, uh, is the medium. And that is very interesting to me, because one would have thought that literacy was about to disappear. But now it's becoming a different, in terms of the infirm. My grandmother had lived with almost debilitating Parkinson's for 10 years and had a very active social life online mm. and that I, that I think is, a, is, a, is an unequivocally beautiful thing like um, you know the idea that my grandmother was like playing Scrabble online with me now I mean obviously this this mode of communication uh, is is a big factor in, in this piece how have you gone about differentiating I suppose between the online chat and the real chat in the piece everyone online is embodied in the mind of the person who is reading the messages so you see, you see people as they wish to be portrayed. No one thinks they're talking to uh, a robot. A robot. Well, unless you, you're getting unless you e- are, e- you know those those spam emails with the, where all the words are mixed up, and it's know, partly James Joyce and it's partly something I don't want to know. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> well, who was it who said if you if you're ch- if you're chatting with a robot and you don't know it's a robot, then it's a person. Yeah. You know, they're, right now they're saying corporations in the U.S. are, are people, but they're not. <laughs> but, the, the point, but the point is, the, the differentiation, just on a, on a technical level, um, is actually not there. So the, the, people sing to each other and sing, sing to one another as, we, as we're, as we're okay. speaking here. Okay. Um, musically, however, there are a, a couple of, what I'll say, clues... That are pl- that that are planted in the orchestra, and occasionally in the in the vocal writing, but usually the vocal writing I try to keep it as conversational in all contexts as possible. Uh, the the biggest one that is the, the one that I was the most interested in, from from just from the very first sketches of the piece was that, um, I was thinking about 
the, the very, very end of A Death in Venice, um, and this piece in so many ways is a, is, a, is, a, is a continuation of a lot of Britain's kind of ideas about A, communication, and B, children, C, sort of emotional lives of the mind. But I was thinking about the way in which he, he sort of appropriates these gamelon scales and stylizes them very heavily, um, but you end up with this sort of this sort of forbidden sexuality embodied in this exoticism, which I thought was was interesting and also could be extended. The score is actually also a track of this our thing. person's emotional life through the other characters. So what you're hearing is what that person would be actually feeling as subtext within the, you know, and, and what was... Uh, also fun to do, and part of what Nico was jazzed about from the very beginning is that these people present themselves. People present themselves on the internet through their spelling and diction. Right. And so we didn't. Want, Craig would be so excited about. We it. didn't want to leave out all that insane, you know, acronymic. That's a word and emoticon stuff. Yeah. And that's fallen to uh, the Fifty Nine Productions guys to embody. Okay. So that when a character might be sending a smiley face back. They don't have to do the smile. They don't have to go. Yeah, right. You know, on stage, the smiley face shows up in the experience of the person who's reading it online. Always asking the question, well, "How are we differentiating between online and offline?" And that's something that the opera doesn't necessarily answer, but it just kind of like... no. But no, no, any more than Peter Grimes really answers, "Is he what he, happened?" He, yeah. yeah, what happened? I mean, there's yes. an open question that, at the heart of most, I think, you know, really challenging drama and opera. Uh, if you see two productions of Hamlet and you've had the same experience, something is very, very wrong. Yes, right. yes. Certainly true uh, Peter Grimes. Yeah. Certainly true Peter Grimes. What's happened in a lot of American opera is that it's been usurped a lot of the absurd Dada-esque surreal stuff from John Ashbery. And so you have these events that are scenes, they're kind of tableaus, and they're very beautiful. But what hasn't happened is a narrative in which things have cause and effects, and everyone is given to understand certain facts. Ophelia is Laertes' sister. <laughs> uh, I was interested in narrative opera, and here was a real story with a beginning and a middle and an end. It has an actual protagonist and obstacles, and uh, people do things and they have consequences. And even though we may live in a quantum universe, watching a narrative changes that that just jazz that just totally totally excited me. What about the the actual Nico the the nitty gritty of the vocal writing because mm. you've sung all your life and you've written some very beautiful choral music and uh, I I hear your instrumental music as 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 very conversational and mm. vocal anyway. In terms of um, writing for voices is it very conversational? Is how how would you describe well, this is the way you've written for voices? This is it. This is an, and there's, there are three modes of, of choral writing, or no, vocal writing in this piece. And this is something that, that basically we had to build in at the libretto level. What I would say, very traditional sort of declamatory operatic arias that happen, most of which are delivered by our, our heroine, the, the, the policewoman. Um, and that's, and those are, that, that's style one. <laughs> and then there's a, there's a second thing, which is this kind of very metric but unstylized kind of duets, the way that people speak to each other, the way that, yeah. and that, and that applies both online and offline. And the third thing that happens is this highly stylized, kind of abstracted um, representation of chatter and representation of 
the the kind of multiplicity of voices on the internet, and that's achieved through both I would say, sort of aleatoric, like experimental music, like, um, things that come that come out of Stockhausen and things that come out of mm-hmm. that come out of sort of ecstatic devotional practices, in addition to kind of big like Elgarian choral things. But the com- the combination of the two makes makes the world of the of the internet. The third one, which is very violent, it's very upsetting. It's very upsetting. It's and, and that that one functions a little bit more narratively, just because we we get into it and we get out of it. But it's I mean you know again it could stand alone and it's it's very dirty. Um, and then in the second act there are two more that that are these basically these, these gigantic pasacalias again, sort of from, from the Britain <laughs> tradition. <laughs> but for this woman, it's it's this shocking realization that these are little children. And they're being exposed. There's a, in America. I don't know about here, but in America, there was this whole kind of Reaganite hiding behind children, uh, which was a conservative way of, of trying to control uh, content. Right. And people are still fighting for its uh, essential point, which is that children are sexual. Mm-hmm. And if you really want them to be abused. Don't talk to them about sex. Mm-hmm. Keep it completely forbidden. Never look at it. Pretend it's not real, and you are guaranteed. Well, so this is the going this to is be of course, destroyed. This is, of course, the the disturbing argument that always comes out of child abuse cases. Is you know, but the child was complicit. Right. That's always and that's and the scary part of it. And so, know, I mean, similar, that's where similarly. It gets Right, that's where it gets dark, and that's where and that's where an opera kind of can take over. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, and this, but this is something that that also it's something that comes up in a in a more charged way in the case of people who think they're speaking to children and in fact speaking to adults, or the other way around, people who think they're speaking to adults and in fact are speaking to children, and and all these things become very kind of I, I would I would say fugued to use a you know psychological or musical term in very different ways. I mean, one of the cases that that, that Craig and I talked about a lot in in the context of this piece was. A woman who, who compelled her next door neighbor's daughter to kill herself by pretending to be a fifteen year old boy, and then you wonder, well, what is the moral difference between a fifteen year old boy saying to a fifteen year old girl these things, when you know, or an, an adult woman saying it when the little girl never figured out that it was an adult woman, and that's and then you think, ooh, like the, there's there's a chargedness to it that it's very chilling, and, and there then, was no case to be made against this because what do you say? Tried. Yeah, I mean, you you like don't do that. Yeah, like, that, was like, yeah. that was as good as they don't could. pretend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't you lie. Exactly. Now, the thing is, I also I think because we're at this unique historical mo- moment where the internet was new enough that children hadn't actually been wised up to this notion that at any moment you could be talking to someone else. Right. You know, curiously, I, I mean, I'd be, I'd be interested to know in terms of. I mean, this is a scientific study that will never happen. But I feel like the people who are the most gullible online are actually the older generation. You know, for teenagers, I think it's it's a it's a savviness with the technology. It's a it's a it's a fluency with it that doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily paired with a with a problem solving fluency or with a with a moral fluency. So it, th- these are all things that, that are kind of floating mm. around in the, in the piece. Um, uh, it's your first opera, um, Nico, and. Um, I mean, you, you, you sound and feel as though, you know, you've slipped into it very naturally. I mean, with the, <laughs> with the main character, uh, you talk about a more traditional operatic delivery. Right. Um, was that a challenge for you, no. or did that come very naturally? No, because the thing is, the thing is, really, if you're going to go to the opera, you want at least some of that, Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. I, I do, at least. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, 
I'm so, because, as you said, it's my first opera. I've seen a ton of operas. I've been to a lot of operas. I've heard a lot of operas. I've watched a lot of operas on DVD. I've watched them on the internet. You know, there's a million ways in which I've experienced it. So in a lot of ways, I'm writing it as someone who would be inter- interested in going to this sort of mm. thing. And, I mean, for me, part of part of the great thing about going to an opera is having is having these sort of delicious moments. Yeah. This this piece um, was the, the the happy recipient of three workshops in which it was a combination of me being sort of pleasantly reassured that I did in fact know how to write operatic vocal writing, but also a lot of things that, that Craig and I would say, you know, like yeah. these these vowels and that note when that's not reading and maybe but that's the performance. This is so important. This is what should happen with every it's the deal. new opera. It really, Absolutely. It really, really and it, does, it really doesn't happen very often. It's no. odd though because I needed, I always need to figure out what's clear, what's not clear. Yeah. You know, I, I tend to write in the white space and I'm a, a, usually a, li- a little bit uh, fearful of uh, bald uh, clarity. <laughs> and we had a an extremely savvy dramaturg uh, on the piece from the beginning, and we went back to the drawing board in big ways. Yeah, uh, I was just overjoyed that Nico didn't uh, come apart at the seams and and uh, say, no, and say uh, oh no, but that's going to ruin the theme. You know, there's a there is a, a certain look. You know, opera is about about making something that's going to be solid. It's got to have at least three legs. And there are a lot of people who work in this field who don't know those things and who uh, write beautiful music. But it isn't about beautiful music, it's about dramatic tension. He withholds and withholds, which is of course what Verdi does and what Britain does more brilliantly, I think, than anyone who to keep it moving forward, keep it moving forward. Well, he just has a natural nose for for drama. I mean, dazzling. Really, uh, I think John Adams does too. Oh yes, yeah, and I, really I do. And I, I was going to say, well, and one of the things that that I've I, I've grown up listening to Adams's operas, um, you know, Nixon is a hugely important piece for me, um, and and Klinghoffer was too. Yeah, he's someone who I think really benefited also from from especially in the case of Nixon and Klinghoffer having a close relationship with the director, which we've also had since the beginning. We've had we've had Bart Shear and and Craig and Bart have known each other since probably before I'm born. Mm-hmm. You know, there are places where I need to be told to make something longer, shorter, faster, higher, lower, bigger, whatever. And there are places where everybody we does. Everybody does. Yeah, and it's it's, it's part of the process. It's very fun. Like, it it's very really, fun. Really fun. And and necessary, I think too. Like it wasn't. You know, and the thing that was crazy was our first draft. I thought was really good, but it wasn't great. The other thing that happens is you, is once you've written, you you know everything. You are the last person to be able to tell what's wrong. <laughs> Right. <laughs> what do you what do you think makes a great libretto? Is it the issue of economy? Because looking at things on the page sometimes nothing there. Or seems and, that it, way. and it's it's the alchemy of what happens. Well, that's why it's, that's why it needs to be an opera. Yeah. I mean, I think if you did if you did if you semi stage crimes, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Because you need those crazy people off stage. You need the drum coming up the hill. And you, I mean, it's, yeah. well, what makes those De Ponte things great and the Boato things great is the structure and the well, characters and the story. They're yeah. just great, and they're, they're, there's usually not more words than you need. It, they're pretty spare. Finally, uh, I've had to cut the things like the really beautiful, beautiful things I wrote. We're like, oh yeah, that's gotta go. <laughs> well, there are, I mean, the other thing is that, that, and this is something that we've talked about even in, in other pieces, is that you know a line that's, that that is a beautiful poetic foot sometimes doesn't work because you need the brain has to like recall the beginning of it, 
in order for the end of the line to work. It's impossible to watch the rake, but it doesn't follow the ear. Yeah. It's about reading. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is not about reading. You would that you would read it and think, well, that's just your job as a librettist is to make the music not just possible but absolutely necessary. That's the event. That is where it lives. But the words had to just get simpler and clearer. Yeah. And, and in a sense, I felt you know I was worried, dumbed down, and I don't think it feels that way now. But I don't know. Um, Nico, what's the what's the size of the band? It's a it's a large-ish band, um, and I'm using it. It's three winds, um, four horns, three trumpets, that kind of thing. So it's it's okay. you know it's, it's a sizable thing. There's no there are no special tricks. Um, there's nothing electronic, um, which is another thing I was very keen on on doing because it was like it would seem so obvious to make it sound like, yes, tr- of course, like Tron or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> so instead so instead of Tron, I thought it should sound like it should sound like sort of Curlew River or something like that, or it should sound like you know Burning Fiery Furnace, like some late Britain yeah. kind of insanity. That will surprise people. Because well, so they'll, they'll go and expecting, as you say, Tron. right? <laughs> They're going and expecting Tron, and that's—I mean—one of the things also that I'm doing, which is a little bit mischievous with, with the chorus, is I'm using them in the, in the second one. That it sounds like something is being done electronically. It's one of these things where it sounds, but I'm doing it just because we have reason. Full chorus and they're speaking to one another very quickly. And this is—I mean, this piece is being done in two huge theaters, co-production with the Met mm. as well. Um, Clarity of words, you no problems. You you're you're happy with the way, way it sounds. I've had to change some of them. I mean, I made poor Sue say the word unmourned like seven like times seven in times in a minute, and and she really looked at me like, were you like born on another planet? <laughs> I'm. This is not. I, I will. I will. I will confess. This is not something in which I have. One hundred percent confidence, and and it's scary because because you know the, the amplification of voices I think is at a certain point be, going to become more common, and you know there are people who do it so well. I I would love to be able to use the orchestra in such a way that I don't need to be doubling everything with ninety five trumpets, and I'd love it if we didn't have to do it. I, I'm pretty sure and acoustic is beautiful. Acoustic I mean, is beautiful, and especially for especially for an opera that 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 sort of banks on this technological plot element. And it was a little tricky because I felt that the kids needed to be in the right dialect. Uh, So you'll tell us.